Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money, the podcast that is off to a spectacularly good start in 2023. He is Andrew Page. I am Scott Phillips. Mr. Page, how are you? I'm very good, sir. How are you? I'm excellent, mate. I, I, I noted during the week we got an email from someone who um, said they loved the Motley Fool and they loved that private online investment club, but I couldn't remember its name. I, I thought you might be able to help me with that one. I'll do my best. You okay. know, you can you can lead a horse to water, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Repeatedly, we'll, you can... We'll see if it drinks. Um, <laughs> we're, a, we're a private online investment club. Go, go check us out. Yes, but what's it called? Strawman.com. That's right. See, now That's I'm, now I'm catching on. Now I'm catching you on. Got it. Next you week, got I'm pretty it. sure I'll have this one right. I, I've, I've almost given it to memory. I'll do my level, uh, level best. I'm not going to hold my breath, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Mate, is your portfolio off to as good a start as the market is for 2023? It's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's been strong. Um, the first 11 yeah. trading days. So we're recording this on Wednesday. I'm off to Tamworth in the next couple of days. So when you're listening oh, my, to this- my hometown. Yeah. I, I will be in the country music capital of Australia uh, as this as this goes live. I'm waiting to- I think John Williamson I'm going to go and see tonight. So that'll be pretty cool. I know that makes me awesome. old, but I, I, do, I do love a bit of John Williamson. Uh, nice. In, inside joke, mate, just a like joke at my own expense. Uh, I saw him once before and uh, the couple who were in front of me, a little older than, than I am, turned to me and said, you know all those words, don't you? <laughs> Which I think was code for- Dude, you sang the whole way through, and I was trying to listen to John Williamson, but I took it as a compliment. So, uh, so we'll, we'll make of that what you will too. Um, so, our recording is on Wednesday for the first twelve trading days, no, ten, eleven trading days of the year. The market's up six and a half percent. I mean, you know what we should do? We should annualize that because that's going <laughs> to make for an insanely good return. Hang on, here we go. Here we go. So, do I, let's say let's say two weeks, twenty six times six and a half percent. That's an annual return of one hundred and sixty nine percent. You bank it. Oh, bank mate, that, it. The, the stuff that copy ads are made of. Yep. Imagine that being yep. splashed across the. Uh, across, <laughs> can, can I can I take a tangent very quickly? Yeah. You know what? You know what always gets me is those product ads that talk about a targeted yield. Have you seen those ones recently? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I have. Shades yeah. of. Do you remember the estate mortgage thing? Were you were you nerdy enough to be following that at the time, or is it just me? No. Well, maybe remind me. Oh, well, so funnily enough, a bit of a forerunner of the um, the old CDO, <laughs> it's collateralized debt obligation problem. Estate mortgage was a, uh, a, a, a investment product and you could basically invest in residential mortgages and they were offering stupid yields and talkback radio hosts who will remain nameless because I don't want to get sued were promoting this thing absolutely up the wazoo. Obviously, no, look, it was an ad. It wasn't nothing nothing untoward, but you know, some of these guys were the big heavy hitters of, of talkback radio at the time. Well, oh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is untoward if they're not disclosing the paid arrangement. No, they were. It was, as I said, it, was okay. it was absolutely an ad. Okay. But, okay. but it was, you know, just they, they were spending a fortune on these guys just doing these, these ad reads. Uh, it blew up. Funnily, funnily enough, the, the mortgages went bad. Uh, people lost all their money and it was a terrible mistake. Uh, that was kind of one of those targeted returns. Oh, but more than cash in the bank. You're only getting this much in the bank. You can get this much investing in residential mortgages. I saw, um, just speaking of annualized returns, that the targeted return, it was it's been all over the place. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to get there. I'm going to jump on the AFR quickly and see if I can pick it up. I hope I can't because then I can avoid saying the company's name out loud. No, I can't find it. Um, with a targeted return of so much per annum, I'm like, oh, a targeted return? That's kind of like, oh, we're going to really try and do it. But if you put that number out there, it's one thing to say this is our historical return. When you sort of talk about a targeted return, I don't know, that gets pretty close to uncomfortably something. I'm, well, I'm my, my targeted sued, return but... is a million percent a year. Well, that's I what mean, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah you can say, oh, I'm targeting 20. I might only get three, but I'm targeting 20. So, well, yeah. but so hang on. 
I, it's I always don't. a question too. Yeah. I, I think anytime you see a yield that's materially above what <laughs> what they they call the risk free rate, you know what you're yeah. getting on a government bond. Right. There's risk involved in that. You might By get definition. it, but yeah. but someone's. Someone's wanting to take your money, and if yep. they're going to offer you, I mean, this was let's let's not <laughs> go down this rabbit hole too far, but this is part okay. of all the crypto stuff blowing up. Is there was the people offering twenty percent risk free, yeah. quote unquote, risk free yields? Oh, like, mate. well, so someone who's who's taking you know your assets to generate twenty percent, mm-hmm. obviously think that they can do more. And it's like, well, how do you do that without taking yeah. any risk? Those those returns are certainly possible, but Warren Buffett, perhaps the world's greatest investor, you know, has mm. has has barely managed 20% over 50 years. So you've got to wonder, you know, where is the yield coming from? And generally speaking, the answer is you're the yield. (laughs) It's a Ponzi scheme. Um, So, and, and look, there's, look, there is, there's the old, the old axiom really here is risk equals return. So Mm. when you, when you see very, very high yields, uh, Mm. just understand that you might get it, but you might not, and that's that's the definition of, of risk here. And and there's there's no such thing as a no risk or even a low risk um, high yield. It just it just does not exist. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. Too good. Um, if it's too good to be yeah. true, it's too good to be true. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's why I don't like these. Like you know the um, hybrid securities the banks would offer that kind of idea of like mm-hmm. you get this certain percentage to invest in their hybrid notes rather or the income securities rather than in in the shares because you kind of get the worst of both worlds, right? If if yep. something goes badly, you lose your money. If it goes really, really, really well, you've still got an upside that's capped at whatever it is. You know, at least yeah. if you're taking more risk with shares, you have, yes, a chance of losing your money, absolutely. And it's a greater mm-hmm. risk than many of these hybrid securities, for the record. Not this one I'm talking about, but the bank hybrids. You know, you're not going to, realistically, very, very, very low chance of losing your money. But it's there. Yep. Yep. Maximum is going to be the yield you get paid. At least if you invest in shares, you're saying, well, okay, a greater chance of losing money? Yes. But a greater chance of more upside? Yeah. And I just, it feels, it always feels really, um, what's your favorite word? Asymmetrical. Asymmetric. When you, when you when you were saying, well, you know, I'll have that yield and no more, but I also could lose my money. It's like oh, that feels. I don't know. I. And, it's and very, by the way, it's, yeah. the banks are offering it right, which tells you exactly what they want you to know. Which is, we could issue shares, but that'll hurt us. We'll use these things because that'll hurt you. <laughs> well, isn't it? You. And in terms of the risk, it's just like you you stand uh, in front of the ordinary equity holders correct, in the event correct. of a liquidation. But yep. frankly, if if that's the stage that you're at, yeah, you're still, right. you're st- don't don't kid yourself that you know you'll be made whole and then everyone else like you're still going to be getting cents on the dollar back. So it's mm. yeah, it's, it's it's a very it's a very very unattractive bet. It's probably a decent bet if for whatever reason you have extreme confidence that the banks, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a shareholder, you're not going to get a great return. And this is, you know, but, but uh, frankly, I just, I just, I agree with you. Some wholeheartedly. Hairs there, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. It's just sort of like, just, just um, take a slightly more risk, not really that much more and get all of the upside. Right. Yeah. I, uh, can I, can I finish this off just this tangent by saying I, I, I Google targeted yield to see if I could find the ad. What I got was a, a research paper that says targeted yield concept and a framework of fertilizer recommendation irrigated rice. So basically, targeted yield is a whole heap of sh- nothing. We'll, uh, we'll move on from that to like what I did there. Uh, let's let's keep going, mate. So, but back to the market, six and a half percent. I want you to speculate for me for a second oh, on yeah, sure. what's actually happening in the market. And it's not what we do generally speaking. It doesn't really matter that much, but. It's interesting to think about the behavior of those other people on the other side of the trades that we like to make. I it does. I don't want to draw too fine a calendar line on this one. But gee, it's hard not to think that someone's woken up and gone, New Year, 
actually, maybe if I look again, there might be some opportunity there. Because it did feel like we kind of didn't exactly turn on a dime, but gee, it wasn't far off that. You know, mm. November, from memory, October was really good. November was a bit ordinary. I think December, I can't remember what happened in December. Now it doesn't, again, that's why it doesn't matter. But a 6.5% return in, in not even two full trade, or just a, a couple of days over two full trading weeks, 12 days, 11 days. Um, that's, I mean, that's not nothing, right? And it does seem to me there's a decent change in sentiment out there. Do you, do you think, is, is, am, I, am I trying to find a relationship when none exists? No, no, actually, I think that's a factual statement. I think when you see prices go up, I mean, you can you can debate what has caused that sentiment improvement, but but obviously sentiment has improved. It's sort of you know prices don't go up when sentiment is going down. It's, <laughs> yeah, right. it's axiomatic again. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think you're right. The question is is in terms of you know what what's driving it, but yeah. the, the question is is the the market quote unquote right right to be optimistic? And I'm not here to suggest that they shouldn't be, but mm-hmm. I will say. History, as always, is such a useful guide. Um, we saw a, a similar start to the year in 2020. And uh, mm-hmm. so we I've actually got, got the data here in front of me. So <laughs> at the end, the very last day of, of 2019, the All Lords was at 6,855. A few weeks later, it was at uh, over 7,000. So it was about a 6.5%. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's great. What does it mean? Well, nothing, because, you know, a few weeks later, it, it saw one of the sh- – in fact, probably, I think, the bigger the, – the fastest – retracement in modern times where, mm, you know, obviously yeah. COVID came out and everything just fell away. So, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, we know what we know is, is happened. What does it mean for the future? Well, nothing because, mm. I, you know, again, you know, a nuke could, could drop on Sydney tomorrow. I, I don't know. Like any, anything is sort of possible. So it's sort of Today like- Today in happy news with Andrew Page. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just nonsense. Yeah. And then we're, we're, yeah. we're obviously, we're, we're anchoring to a- yeah. Gregorian calendar date, which is like, well, what's that got to do <laughs> yeah, with really right. anything? What, what about decided the s- hundreds of years ago this would be the first day of a new year, and so yeah, they could have yeah. chosen they could have chosen September one or uh, April thirty two or you know whatever else they want to do. The calendar could be entirely different with a different state finish date, and oh, yeah. different months and everything else. Yeah, you, you'll find plenty of periods where those kinds of gains are made in a two week period. Maybe it's not as as a um, um, psychologically significant point as, mm-hmm. as, as January 1st or December 31, but it's, it's completely meaningless. It's, it, markets are doing what they always do. They move around. Everyone's trying to guess what's trying to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes they're optimistic, sometimes they're pessimistic. So, yeah, it's, look, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Um, but, but what does it mean? I don't know. Um, what, what I do find interesting, and I do this, and I think we all do this, mm-hmm. is that prices are down in the dumps and you're, oh, this really sucks, rah, rah, rah. And then when it goes up, you go, oh, it really sucks because I could have bought some more. <laughs> like you, you're always you're always sort of looking at what the could have, would have, should have, could have been. You know, we 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 all desire lower prices because we all know that we're going to be able to defy the crowd and every urge and fiber of our being to do the right thing. <laughs> it happens. We don't do it. It goes back up. We kick ourselves and regret that we didn't swear <laughs> that we'll do it next time. Right. You know, and it all it all also would say that. Um, uh, over the over your many years um, as as an investor, these kinds of things just smooth out to, to nothing. They they are mm. they are absolutely meaningless. So yeah, um, it, it it's it is what it is, but uh, it's it's not changed anything for me. Now, thank you for playing that game because I, I wanted to I wanted to use this as I am want to do to also reflect on the six or twelve months that came before it, mm-hmm. because the same thing, dear listener, applies exactly when the market is down and you kind of made that point just then that you know we talk about the market being up we go oh and we're tempted as always to go oh thank goodness the market knows i'm right 
And when they're when we're wrong, it's like, well, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. And and it's it's always more insidious when the market's down, right? It's just it mm. is so much easier to either not notice or to notice and like it or to take it as you know reinforcement of our own obvious genius or just to go, well, that's a surprise, but I'll take it. It's a very different response when the market's down by the same amount or more, and we get into that maybe I should sell maybe I'm wrong the market's telling me I'm wrong all those things happen and I, I, that's exactly why I want to talk about the last couple of weeks and you're right about the meaninglessness of it because that's the thing to keep in mind whether the market falls again from tomorrow or whether the market well Monday whether the market falls in a month's time or a year's time or five years time or next time we have a COVID crash or a tech crash or a whatever's going to happen next there'll be something else because it's normally something else or maybe not same thing for different reasons um, that, exactly that same sentiment you, to your point, it's axiomatic that the sentiment is what drives it. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I guess that's just, you know, I, it's hard to... <laughs> people can't hear this when the market's down, they're feeling fretful, right? Mm-hmm. The other problem is when the market's up, they kind of go, yeah, whatever, Scott, that's, that's, that's last year. I'm excited about this year. Don't, don't talk about last year anymore. It's our job, in part at least, to, to just kind of, you know, uh, we've talked before about the slave walking by the Roman general saying, don't forget, you are mortal. Uh, mm-hmm. Just that idea of, you know, this is... This is the time to remember that bad times happen, good times happen. At the end of the day, as you say, it's about A, the long-term, and B, about the company, and maybe not even in that order. Uh, but those sentiment things that made you feel pain last year, that make you feel joy this year, they're both the same beast, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe from a different perspective, maybe with a different message. And yes, it's always easier and nicer to have it go up than down. And we're always, as you said, we'll take the wins, of course we will. But to do that, you've also got to take the gains when they come because that's exactly what markets do. Yeah. And the other point I would make is um, it'll be less or more true for different people. But as far as I'm concerned, what the market does usually has very little bearing on what my portfolio does. (laughs) I think you're you're more unusual than most, to be fair, though. Yeah. But I mean, you'd be surprised at how, especially if we're going to talk about useless two-week periods. I had to just look it up while while you were chatting. So I jumped jumped onto share side. Mm -hmm. What's my portfolio done since I I have no idea because I don't track these things second tick by tick. But it turns out I'm down 0.89 of a percent since January 1st. Um, So I was just like, well, hey, what's going on there? I shouldn't have looked really, but again, <laughs> why, I was not, I, I knew to look because yeah, I knew it would yeah, be different yeah. because I don't like, uh, you know, 40% of my portfolio isn't BHP and the big yeah, banks and, you know, exactly. it's the, the weightings are very, very, very differently, different. We've, yeah. you, you will see, you will see all kinds of um, differences there. So what's the market doing? Eh, it's kind of interesting, I guess. What's, mm. what do I care about is what's my portfolio <laughs> That's doing. Right. That's what I really care about. The market can yeah. drop 50%. I don't care. We, we, we obviously, and I'm, I'm being selective here, but deliberately, but we've got, you know, I have 550 premium members mm. on Strawman. They all run these sample portfolios. Uh, we pointed out in our last newsletter that we, oh gosh, we had dozens of people who just absolutely smashed the market last year. It was an awful year. Mm-hmm. Now, they might not be the same people who perform well this year. I'm not, I'm not trying to extrapolate forward um, anything from that. But it's just a wonderful example of, of, of I think mm-hmm. that in all kinds of environments, there are always opportunities. Even in raging bull markets where things look really expensive, there are opportunities. Things where it's really dire, there are always good opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're just investing in, in an ETF and index tracking, and by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you, 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 will, 
you, you should take great solace in the fact that of the 2,200 odd different stocks out there, <laughs> there's, there's at least, I would say, a dozen companies that you will look back on and go, wow, what an incredible opportunity. That, that's your job as a, as a stock picker, as an equity investor, is, is, is to find them. Not to pat yourself on the back because you might have a good month, quarter, or even year, because as I said, it's it's pretty irrelevant. But but know that they are know that they are there. And I think the too much talk about the market distracts us mm. from that. Again, different if different if if you're a short term trader that's that's trying to replicate what what the market consti- uh, index constituents are. But I don't think many people do that. So I shrug my shoulders. So- Tell me then, so I, I agree with you to a point, and in the same point, I know you also agree with me on, so I'm, I'm asking this question in full knowledge of, of uh, you'll be in agreement. It's right to ignore the market until the point at which you need to work out whether you're actually any good at this thing. Yeah. Because you won't get the market's return if you're not investing in the market. That's that's absolutely true, and you're, you're 100% spot on to mention it. As I said, I do think you're most, you're, you're, you're probably in the, I, I reckon you're at the very end of the bell curve, by the way, when it comes to uh, lack of, um, correlation with the market because most people will have a bank or a miner or a, a big supermarket or something that you know those businesses because they are so big tend to move in line with the market because they are to a large degree the market so you kind of get that but but mm-hmm. even 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 that you're not owning the whole market as you rightly say but at some point you need to know what the market's doing or maybe maybe you don't but I'm, I'm going to argue you need to know because you need to say I don't want to be the market I've got all these stocks over here and at point X you say but if I just invested in the market, I could have made X and I've actually made less than that now. So yeah, that was dumb good. and I felt good about yeah. it, but I didn't really make any money. The one I think on a, uh, inalienable and inescapable market reference point is, am I adding value here? Otherwise, yeah. you know, like I'm literally costing myself money and we all have hobbies, but man, if you're costing yourself, you know, five figures a year to have this hobby, you want to be clear you're doing it. At some point you're going to say, actually, I, I suck at this. I don't know if I suck at this. I'm just, I'm not quite as good as I would like to be. I'm I'm not matching the market, and yeah. frankly, uh, you know, either it's worth it because it's still fun, and I think people should be really careful with that. Because if you're going to go and punt that much money at the TAB every year, someone would probably pull you aside and say, "Ah, maybe find a new hobby." <laughs> yeah. But um, but at some point you say, "Okay, no, yes, I'm good at this." No, I'm not. How, how how do you or when do you check in on the market and say, "Oh, oh that's how I'm going." Okay, that's good enough, or. Maybe I need yeah. to do something differently. Yeah, it's such a great point. I mean, there is no magic cutoff. You know, it's mm. like at two point three years. That's when you, <laughs> you can yeah. you can say, but you can yeah. say very sensibly and rationally that you know the the longer the time frame you're looking at, the more meaningful the comparison is. Um, yeah. I would probably suggest three, four kind of years is is probably about right. But again, again, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons to be learnt looking backwards. There was a I'm going to forget the names of the authors and the researchers, but there's a really great study done on fund managers a few years back, and they found when they went back over uh, long periods of time, the ones that had got the best performance actually had plenty of years of underperformance. Um, that that was no surprise, but they were actually never at the top of the league tables. Their skill was actually being relatively consistent, so they would absolutely underperform the market um, quite often. Um, but then they just had a lot of years where they outperformed it, not massively, but by a little bit. And those those little wins add up. Yeah, and it's why, when it do. comes to investing, the, the, really the most important thing is is a is um, consistency to some degree. And and it's not about getting the home run or hitting it for six to use a more local analogy. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's about trying to, to, on average, over time, do a little bit better. And again, it does, people will know this because they've been listening to us 
crap on for long enough. But you know, <laughs> if you if you manage to if you manage to in the fullness of time look back in your investing career and say oh, I got eleven point eight percent in a market that that delivered ten percent total return, mm. dividends mm. and everything all sort of factored in together, you 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 might be tempted at first to sort of go. Gosh, that was a lot of work for an extra one point eight percent. Yeah, um, but we all know that actually, wow, that that massively adds up. You, you see it on some of those super ads, you know. Uh, you know, added add it up over the course of your 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 um, working <laughs> life, those things uh, are material, and they're yeah, they're, they're in lies the, the the power of of compounding. But yeah, look, mate, I, I don't I I don't know. I, I think for me the 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 better metric I, I hold myself account to is what did I, and I'll look at it on an individual basis. What, what did I expect when I bought shares in a company? Now I, I never have some, some um, massive spreadsheet with 18 decimal places behind each quarterly result, but mm-hmm. I do generally think that mm, I feel as though this company has the capacity to grow its, its per share earnings or its free cash flow, whatever metric is your, your preferred sort of measure. Uh, to grow at, at say roughly a mid single digit rate or a low double digit rate, it's sort of you know roughly mm. right as opposed to specifically wrong. And I actually don't mind too much underperforming massively uh, on a price basis when the company is performing more or less in line with right. expectations, because I know that as long as that continues, it's a whole weighing versus voting machine Ben Graham analogy. Because if if that if that continues to hold true, I don't know when. The market will recognise that that performance, but it will. It, it most surely will, and so that that's a far more useful one for me. So, and just to flip that around, there are bizarrely enough a couple of instances I can remember where I had some really good outperformance <laughs> on companies that actually didn't perform well at all. Certainly not as well as I thought they did, but. I got lucky in terms of it was during a period of extreme exuberance in relation to particular sectors of the market or whatever. And it's kind of like, on one hand, it's easy to say, ha look how clever I was. But I think as an investor, you've got to be really mindful that you're not, you've got to be, you've got to check yourself when you're right, but right for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do you know? And that I've seen, I've seen a lot of very sort of high profile people do that because I remember reading their research report saying, we think this is undervalued <laughs> because of X, because, Y, and Z. Yeah, a year yeah. later, they're doing all these victory laps. Like actually yeah. none of what you were basing your forecast on turned out true. Now the price went up and for sentimental reasons and for all other kinds of things, but but certainly not for the reasons <laughs> that, that you predicted. And so- well done to you, but let's not pretend that you you were right. You you were lucky. You weren't right. Can I take a uh, can I take a pointed stab at the buy now pay later sector at this point? I apologise to those who own those shares, but um, uh, look and and maybe in the fullness of time they will still be proven right. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Afterpay shareholders for a second, who did remarkably well because Square was silly enough to. Well, maybe not silly. Square used very, very, very expensive shares of Square to buy very, very, very expensive shares of Afterpay. Maybe it wasn't the worst deal for Square because if you've got expensive shares, the thing you should be doing with them mm-hmm. is using them for as much as you possibly can. Uh, pay everyone in shares if you can get away with it if they're that expensive. Uh, and for those who don't necessarily follow the, the logic, um, basically, if your shares are overvalued, uh, you're you know this thing's worth a dollar and people saying they're worth two you want to use that money as much as you can if someone said to you the coins in your pocket the dollar coins in your pocket i'll actually give you two dollars value for every one of those dollar coins you're like uh, yeah how many how many can i give you that's yeah. what you do with overvalued shares you're right these one dollar shares someone's saying they're worth two bucks like okay have them please please yeah. someone comes yeah. to your house and says your house actually worth a million dollars i'll give you two million like 
Sure. Hell yes. Yeah. I, you, right now. I don't. Yes. I'm walking. I'm leaving. Pack a bag, honey. We're out of here. Yeah. Um, so you know you should use overpriced shares. But for all of the for all of the buy now pay later bullishness, none of those things have actually played out yet. I mean, they're getting bigger revenue wise, but there's no business model of profit yet. This, the jury. I'm not saying they're wrong, but gee, the jury's still out. The, the victory lap is. Thank God we got someone to come and pay us a stupid price for our shares. Not see. I told you that all of a sudden this would happen and people would use this and it would generate this much profit. So this is what it's worth. There was, there was this. Um, oh, it was a while. It was before the takeover. It was actually a year before the takeover of Block and. Osby's invited, they wanted to do this session called Bull versus Bear, and they invited on a fund manager who was hyper bullish on Afterpay, right. and they wanted someone who was bearish, and I, I happened to be bearish. <laughs> and, and we had a really good debate. Um, I don't want to name names because it's not fair, but he's been in the AFR, <laughs> poor guy, <laughs> because there's been a fall from grace there. But do. they were a bit disappointed, I think, with, with the debate because- uh, he went first. Oh, this is a great company. Blah, 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 blah. Andrew, why isn't it a great company? And I was like, no, no, no. I actually think, well, clearly something's going right. Look at the revenues. <laughs> yes, look at the potential. I, actually, I don't yeah. actually have, yeah. you know, ethics of, of the money lending aside and the rest. I, actually, I don't think it was a terrible company. I mean, how can you say with a straight face it was a terrible company? If any, oh, We should all hope that we could start businesses that are tend right. as successful as Afterpay, right? Like it was can, insane. Can literally stand alongside Amex, Visa, or MasterCard and say, bank card failed, checks are gone, diners has gone. Hey, yep. Afterpay is here and challenging these guys for every dollar of revenue going through the till. Absolutely. Now, phenomenal, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the, but my argument was the reason I was bearish is it just that everything that you say about the potential and historical success of this business is yeah. is not just priced in, it's priced in and then some. <laughs> in other words, if everything you say comes true, mm-hmm. you're probably still going to get a very disappointing return unless the only thing that there's two things that will save you here. It turns out that the, the cash the cash profit growth is going to be even more extreme than these hyper bullish scenarios, which is possible. Some, sometimes we we all get that wrong, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when there's big structural changes within an industry. That's that, so that's possible. Yep. Yep. Uh, history so far suggests that actually that that that's not likely. Or or and or um, the market just happens to be in a, a highly 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 um, exuberant mood. And I'm never never comfortable investing on the basis of what mood the market is going to be in because you know this thing is this thing is a manic depressive it, it, all over the place wakes up in a euphoric mood one day and a you know crippling <laughs> crippling crippling I can't even say it uh, a, a very bad mood at other points in time it's like that's just gambling right that that is that is pure gambling so you want you want to um, anyway it's, it's a good it's a it's a it's just a little bit of nuance there. And I, I think it's worth highlighting because too often I come across investors and they say, this is a great company, therefore you should buy it. And I think that's obviously you want to focus on the great company. So there's no question mm-hmm. there. But but Charlie Munger's famous for sort of saying, um, no business, no matter how wonderful, is worth an infinite amount. You know, mm-hmm. you can overpay for the most wonderful, wonderful businesses in the world. Um, pick Berkshire Hathaway. Is it worth ten trillion a share? Just to use a, a ridiculous um, example, well, n- clearly not. Yes, yes, um, it is. Because I mean, I mean, worth, I mean, I mean, no. <laughs> it's worth more than the entire global economy by many orders <laughs> yes. of magnitude. Yes, it is. At, at, and if you and if you'd like to buy some Berkshire Hathaway shares for that, please give me <laughs> please, a call on. Please yeah. do. And you know, and at the same time, it's not a dollar a share. So no, exactly. you know, there a, is a, a four-year-old could work out that somewhere between those points is, mm-hmm. is something that makes a huge amount of sense. So yep. don't just 
absolutely. Mm. I commend you for focusing on a company that you, where you see extreme quality. But that's that's really just the first step. The second step is okay. Now, what do I pay for that quality? And you can do. And I see it all the time. I've experienced it firsthand all the time. Where the business can be wonderful, you can be absolutely right in terms of of, of how the business is going to track, and the share price can drop fifty percent. Actually, it's mm. pretty much the story of my last twelve months. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a few companies, and I'm actually very happy with how they've performed. I think I'm yeah. as you know. Um, as 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 confident as I ever was with them, but the share price is very different. It's a really um, good so, point, mate. Because if yeah. if if we see a share price, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a new way to talk about anchoring. Um, but, but I think you made a really good point because there's two things going on there, right? Maybe you paid too much from the 12 months ago. You probably didn't, but maybe you did. Yep. Whether you did or not, though, um, the question is: They're this price now. And so plenty of people be like, oh, the shares are down 50%. I want a company that's performing better. Mm-hmm. Or this company's not performing very well. Look, the shares are down. Mm-hmm. And I think those, those are reasonable thoughts, right? But we confuse the two. And it's exactly the point you're making. Yeah. We confuse the company and the share price. Let's say let's say, were, let's say you paid 30% too much a year ago, right? I, I, yep. I don't think you did. I don't know what the companies are. Well, it may, may well have. Well, time will tell. No, but just, just, for, the, but just for the pay of the exercise. Certainly possible. Yeah. And they're fallen 50% since, right? So yeah. they, they are where they are now. The only question for every investor, we've said this before, I'm going to say it again, and we'll say it again probably next week or the week after. The only question is, they're, they're selling for this much now. Mm. Is that an attractive price for the company? And yep. whether, because you could go to cash now and you get the loss would go away. Yep. If you sold shares in you know, Page and Phillips Incorporated today at a 50% loss, you take your $500 out after you put your $1,000 in and someone will say, right, you've got 500 bucks cash, what are you going to buy? And you buy that, the shares in this company. Mm-hmm. And if you're right about them performing well, the shares go up 10%. You're like, oh, I'm a genius. Yeah. Instead, many people will say, well, now I'm about 40%. Mm-hmm. That still sucks. 45%. That still sucks. And it's just yeah. a really, and we talk about this all the time, but it's a really, I love that you brought it up because it's a really, really poignant example of where anchoring can really hurt you. People who say it's down, so I'm going to get rid of it or whatever it is. Now, you probably yeah. didn't pay too much. If you didn't, then there, there's, an, there's a 2x just to get back to where you started, which is even better from here, right? So that's yeah. a great opportunity. But either way, whether you pay too much or whether you didn't pay, pay too much, the only question right now is that 50 cent dollar, do I, do I, is the business performing? Is it worth more than the current price? If the answer is yes, then hold or buy more. Yeah. But the fact they've fallen or whether they'd risen by the same amount over the last four months would be completely immaterial. Whether the price goes from two to five or 10 to five, it's five. And the question mm-hmm. simply is, is it worth more than five in one, three, five, and 10 years' time? Yeah. So, um, uh, again, you, you probably do it 10 times before the episode's over. I'll reference Buffett. <laughs> um, uh, so he, in his early days, he was uh, he called it cigar butt investing. Mm-hmm. So he actually wasn't buying good quality companies at all. In fact, he was often buying really rubbishy companies. Yep. But they were just so cheap. You know, instead <laughs> of like, yeah, this is not an exciting company. It's yeah. probably in a little bit of trouble, but it's trading at below its tangible book value or mm-hmm. something like that. That mm-hmm. trade has largely gone away because there's just so many more people aware of that as an approach and screening techniques and the rest. So it's very not impossible, but it's much harder to prosecute that strategy. But it's another good example of just distancing the concept between quality, price, and shareholder potential return. And and yeah, price matters, valuation matters. Um, that's the lesson. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, I want to take a complete left turn here, 90 degree turn, and talk about China. Um, China has been the dominant, again, I'll say macroeconomic. <laughs> One year we're not going to talk about macro much. It's not going to be this year. Um, the dominant macroeconomic driver of the world's economy for 40 years. 
along with other things, but the growth of China in terms of the number of people, the size of the economy, the growing size of the economy, the fact mm. that both those things combined has, have meant that it has grown faster in the world economy for 40 years. In other words, think about averages, right? If something's average, someone's growing faster, someone's growing slower. You take China out of the global growth numbers over the last 40 years, and the world is less affluent, less successful. We have lower standards of living. We've grown less quickly. All those things, arguably, and we can't know the counterfactual exactly, but almost by definition, these things are true, or at least arguably true. It has been an extraordinary story. They've done 40, they've done 200 years of development economically in about 40, 35 years, which is just mm -hmm. unprecedented. This has been a remarkable, remarkable story. Now, massive human rights questions, uh, you know, massive questions about the sustainability of some of that stuff from environmental and social reasons. So I don't want to gloss over that necessarily, but I will a little bit because that's not what we're necessarily here for, but feel free to talk about that if you want. Mm. Um, but they are our largest trading partner. They account for a third of our exports, mostly iron ore, but also things like tourism and education, other things like mm -hmm. that. For the first time in 40 years, they grew slower last year than the world economy. Mm -hmm. that that's is, assuming you can trust their numbers as well. Well, but that's the other thing, right? Like, I, if, yeah. if, I mean, if, if they're even worse than that, they're even worse than that again. Like, this is yeah. the, the simple reality is they are, you know, went from 8% growth in 2021 to 3%. Let's say they're both made up. Let's say it goes from five to zero, whatever the numbers are. Yeah. They're not, to your point, they're not going to put out a bad number unless they absolutely have to, right? If they could get away with pretending it was 8.1, they would have. Yeah. Uh, but they've gone from 8% in 2021 to 3% in 2022. And maybe even more remarkably, which is saying something when you think about the size of that, China's population declined for the first time in I don't know how long, probably ever in the modern age, I would suggest. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, at some point, populations were reasonably stagnant, but for the last X hundred years, pretty much around the world, I don't remember the last time a country's population fell short of massive famine or war. Um, uh, those are pretty tectonic kinds of numbers. Mm. Now, I there, there was investing in China. There is investing in companies that deal with China. Then there is investing in companies that benefit from the existence of China. Think about manufacturing or, or foreign trade. And there's just the global growth story in general. Um, tell me your thoughts on the impact of those changes when it comes to the world economy, the Australian economy and, and investing opportunities in Australia. Yeah, I mean, it's going, I mean, it's a big deal. The, the old saying used to be when the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold because <laughs> yeah. it was a quarter of the global economy or something of that magnitude. And just, and we live in an increasingly interconnected world um, mm. and you just, you can't be isolated from that. So, you know, as because of all of that growth and, and China on its way to be the largest uh, economy, it's, it's, it's something you, you can't insulate yourself from. Mm. If they are not growing as much or if their economy is going to shrink, it's hard to, it's hard to see how that doesn't affect almost everything. Even with things with no obvious connections to it, they will be dealing, I mean, we're, we're all interconnected, right? They will be dealing with people who are connected or people who are connected to other people who are connected. It's, you know, it's all a big daisy chain or maybe a spider web is a better, a better <laughs> an, an analogy. So it's, yeah, it's a, it, it's a bit, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, um, a big deal. I look, I'm not an economist, right? It's glaringly obvious to anyone who listens to this podcast, but my armchair sort of <laughs> thinking on this is that I do think we put too much emphasis on GDP. Mm. I think what, I mean, where would you rather live? Would you rather live in a country whose GDP is growing, I don't know, 5% per year, but the population's growing at 10%? Are you richer mm. or poorer on average in that scenario? 
Mm. Or are you preferring to live in a in a country whose perhaps GDP is flat, but the population is shrinking? I yeah. mean, in terms of your share of the pie, yeah. it's going up. I mean, what? Yeah. Get rid of all of these, you know, ivory tower musings. I mean, at the end of, at the end of the day, what is the economy? It's just you know what what we all get to produce and enjoy in, in quality of life kind of things, and that's that's really what matters. We're trying to enrich ourselves for our comfort and the security of our families and children and the rest of it. So, mm. you know, and then and then you can even get start teasing apart some of the issues with GDP as as a measure as well. Or do do it, we could probably boost GDP significantly, at least in the short term, if we legalized heroin and spun up a massive industry on the the, the production distribution <laughs> and paraphernalia around all, all of that kind of stuff as well. So it's not there are there are and what's the country? I think it's Nepal that uses a very esoteric sort of gauge of Bhutan. Gross national happiness. That's it, Bhutan. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And I actually think, look, again, there's, here, perfect is the enemy of the good. There is no perfect one metric that encapsulates everything. But we, man, we have an obsession with with GDP. Sorry, mate, I, I segued well off from your initial. You question. You really, but, really, really have. I don't disagree yeah. with any of that, mate. Uh, with the probable exception that I completely agree with you about GDP. It is though the least worst. Uh, solution yeah. at this, at least for this point, because yeah. as you say, look, and, and it's a really good point you make because GDP can go up, but if you don't get a pay rise, you don't benefit at all from that GDP growth. Right? It's, it's entirely yeah. irrelevant, right? Because yeah. you're only getting the money you're getting in the door. So wages for the vast bulk of us, and I guess maybe dividends for those of us who own companies, and arguably maybe share prices or whatever else, um, they're all they're all important kind of you know, uh, dare I say, property indicators of of, of wealth and income. Uh, but uh, so so I think I think you're absolutely right. So it's a really good point you make. That being said, the, uh, if it, it is directionally worthwhile in terms of questions of economic success and prosperity, for example, you're more likely to be able to keep or get a job in a country, in a country who, that is growing its economy, that is yep. doing more things, whether that's trade, manufacturing, harvest, whatever those things are. If, if, it's, if it's growing, it's probably creating jobs, it's probably creating wealth. And so you are more likely to do better. I, I'm, I don't have any stats for this, but I am very, very, very confident to say that the average citizen is likely to do better in a growing economy than shrinking one, at least under our current system, well, sort of throwing the thing out and starting again. I think, yeah, it's, that, 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 that's a perfectly sensible statement. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because there's some, a lot of good data. US is such a great example here because mm. I think when, when they tease apart the wealth of the top uh 20% versus the bottom 20%. Those in the mm. bottom 20% haven't grown at all. In fact, gone backwards in terms of living standards and the amount of work that they need to do to provide a certain standard of, of living and the rest of it. Yep. So you're right on aggregate, but there is, I guess the other wrinkle there is just the distribution of said wealth. Totally. Again, yep. would you would you, would you you rather live in an economy where it grows at 3%, we all get an equal share of that, or an economy that grows at twenty percent per annum, but it done it all goes to the top two percent. Yeah. You know, so again, I'm 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 not I'm not trying to be um, difficult, but it is there's, no, there's, they, they are very good questions. They they they're always this is <laughs> this is the uh, thing I suppose about economics is that you can choose your narrative and you'll find mm. you'll find data points to support it, right? <laughs> you, you will, and I'm not just talking about tinfoil hat wearing weirdos on the internet. I mean, you'll find professors of economics at different schools. Who have a have a particular view on the world, yep, and um, they'll they'll make very convincing arguments. I mean, they'll be polar opposite in terms of what they think it, it all it all means. <laughs> but but this is this is the this is what makes it so uh, tricky, I suppose. Mm. Is that um, 
yeah, any one data point tells you something, but in isolation, it, it can be it can be misleading. I guess very true. Very true. Um, do you worry about the impact of those two data points out of China, or no, is I, it I, yeah. something's not not you know I I again as I said we spend too much time talking about macro except it's kind of unavoidable at the moment. What happens to China really kind of drives what happens in the world more broadly not entirely and not completely and not without exception but it's yeah. hard to imagine a world where china can go into any sort of meaningful decline or lack of growth and hope the rest mm. of us going to be okay again yeah. on that limited metric to your point and for all of the for all the characterizations and qualifications you rightly put on it um I, I, you know would i rather one of those two scenarios you mentioned sure yeah. Uh, but in the in the in the in the world we've got with the, with the situation we've got, do I think we're better or worse off if China keeps growing? I think overall, on average, uh, we're better off if China keeps growing than if it doesn't. And if their population oh, declines, 100%. that that's I guess you know what do they say? Demography is destiny, right? The, the yeah. if that Chinese population does continue to fall, or even if it grows again, but it grows because you've got you know couples with three kids now. But they, I mean, we think we got a baby boom and a, and a bulge of boomers. Man, that is the ultimate demographic time bomb, right? That's yeah. there's some real questions about about China's role in the world economy and frankly, what takes up the slack. I, I don't know what I don't have them thought this through, but the last forty years without China, Australia is much poorer for a start. Um, think about mm -hmm. the mining revenue and uh, you know just the sheer dollar value of the government budget that's been funded by mining exports again for good or ill. Um, that really think about the Chinese students and tourists that have come to the country. You take yeah. that out, some will be replaced by something else. Maybe there's wealth generated in Japan rather than China, or Bangladesh rather than China, or something else. So you know, it's not it's not to say it just evaporates, but that that you know that growth probably doesn't happen without China. Thinking backwards and then trying to extrapolate forwards is an interesting challenge. Well, I mean, what you're saying is true of the globe because of China's position in the world economy. Mm. But man, is it true for Australia? I mean, our yes, economic exactly. miracle of you know pretty much uh -huh. thirty years without a recession. What's the why? What's the why is China? Yeah, like without China, that didn't happen. And, and know, very, we, very specifically, not not just kind of directionally, like literally, they kept us out of the recession in the GFC. The uh, only difference between us and the Americas, well, not exactly the only difference. There was a whole lot of financial shenanigans, but us and the yeah. rest of the world, yeah. Kind of, you know, <laughs> comes out of China, right? Oh, we are we are, we are tied to the hip. So if they get into trouble, we're in huge trouble. I mean, as you say, thirty percent of our exports. Remember what happened to Treasury Wines and others that uh -huh. had found a great market in China, and then for various reasons it was cut off, and they were just like, yeah. "Well, that completely rug pulled." So there is, there is, it's it's a great. Um, <laughs> It's a great trading partner when it's all your way, but you know there is another argument to sort of say, well, financial prudence would probably suggest some balance and diversification mm. and and all the rest of it. I, I guess that's very easy to say in hindsight. If I was running a business and someone from China said we want to buy all of your product and we'll pay you ten percent more, I mean, like, what am I going to do, right? So these things aren't really sort of engineered and designed; they sort of unfold because of various reasons. But yeah, I mean, I I think Australia out of I maybe. Brazil. I don't know. It's hard to think of another country that's going to be more directly impacted by a by a slowdown in China. Um, having said that, people have been calling this for a while. It's always you might even, even if they're generally right overall. You know these these cans can be kicked a long way down the road. <laughs> so so I, I don't know. If a lot it, of it, a lot of governments have a lot of incentive to do exactly that too, just quietly. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, I, I yeah. So uh, despite everything that I said, yeah, I think it I think it is a concern. I think I think you 
you also have what happened in in China was very much um, uh, what's the word planned in in a way in a very mm. I use that in a very sort of communist kind of term right like it mm. was mm. hey what, yeah, let's yeah. let's let's yep. build let's build um, a bunch of cities from scratch let's build a bunch mm. of highways where there's three cars that are ever going to use I mean just <laughs> in in a normal free market society that stuff never would have happened because there wasn't there wasn't the demand for it. There wasn't the economic rationale for it. So if you really want to dig into China, they've got trains that lead to nowhere. They've got bridges that lead to nowhere. They've got ghost cities. Every incredible malinvestment. Do we really care? Not really, because they still needed a bunch <laughs> of iron ore and stuff to build that. So we're, we've been happy to, to supply. But then it's sort of like, if they get into trouble, and, and arguably they, they kind of are already starting to, more than starting to sort of get there, the the easy answer might be, well, well, the government will just come in and, and create a bunch of stimulus, and pro- they probably will because what else are you going to do, right? Um, but it, but it just be, that that can gets heavier and heavier and harder and harder to kick every time you you kind of do that because internally there there are real there are real implications for these kinds of malinvestments, and mm. I don't know how it ends, but it 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 does seem it does seem precarious, and then on all of that you need to layer the geopolitical um, issues, which are massive as well. So, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be hyper bearish, but uh, you ask the question: Is it something that worries? Yeah, me? No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think. I think it. I think it does. And uh, well, how do you how do you play that? Well, I hate. You shouldn't use the word play. Um, I, I think, as as is always the case, it's such a bog standard answer because it's a it's a good all weather all seasons kind of answer. It's like, well, like try and focus on companies that. No, com- no company is going to avoid fully any impacts of a recession or a slowdown, but some will hold up a lot better than others. So, mm. you know, good balance sheets, good ca- good cash flows, um, uh, structural tailwinds, quality management. These things are always, always and 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 everywhere true. And so that's that's my bog standard answer. I'm I'm happy to stick to it actually. So despite <laughs> that 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 concern, I'm largely fully invested and. And if China, you know, blows up, well, it's going to suck. I'm not going to be immune to it. But I'd much rather hold a company that, you know, suffers a 20% drop in earnings and sort of sits there for a few years than one that ceases to exist. And there potentially will be, be quite a few that do cease to exist. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I have half a suspicion, mate, that d- dumb luck may well strike again at some point. Given uh, We are given, a lucky country. Yeah. Well, given the Chinese reopening to Australian exports that had been black banned for the last four or five years, thanks mm. in part to a change in government, a different diplomatic approach, uh, all of a sudden, you mentioned Treasury, um, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, wine, lobsters, barley, coal, uh, you know, while, while ever China doesn't grow as quickly as it has to be like you know to be like the company example you talk about we said the market into individual companies mm. i mean you know what's china doing as, as as capital c china is is one question for the world but australia is pretty small as, as a proportion of the world's export trading right not notwithstanding our massive iron ore exports yeah so you know yeah. it doesn't necessarily take all that much to to have australia you know growth uh, growth in australian exports to china even yep. if China does continue to slow down, right? And it may not. It could go the other way. We could have had declines, as we almost did, right, when they banned those mm. exports, um, those those industries, those companies, those... I own Treasury, if I didn't say that before. Those commodities uh, fell away, even though China was growing. It's it's mm. entirely possible that we get lucky yet again, which would be which would be remarkable. Mate, can I talk a little bit about... Speaking of geopolitics, let's talk about revenge. It's about revenge. Revenge, revenge. A dish has been in the news this cold. Week. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well... Maybe 
Or maybe was he just best, best served down at the local Westfield or on board a plane heading somewhere great? Because the two times I've seen revenge used in the press this week was revenge travel and revenge spending. <laughs> we have seen, and I, 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 I love a turn of phrase, labels aside, hard to argue that they're not onto something. Super Retail, the business that owns Super Cheap Auto, Rebel, MacPack, BCF, they had a 15% growth in sales in the first half of their financial year, effectively the last six months of last calendar year. After what had been a booming 2020, I think maybe even 2021 on the back of, um, you know, people went camping instead of flying overseas, all that kind of stuff. So massive, massive growth on a business that otherwise justifiably could have taken a backseat, maybe absorbed some of that excess sales that were pulled forward. Qantas share price up 45% in the last six months. They have planes, Virgin Rex, um, hopefully soon Bonza. Their planes are full. They are charging sky high prices because we're all, largely a lot of us, getting on planes and going somewhere, anywhere, because we haven't been able to for the past few years. So revenge spending, i.e. we're somehow taking revenge on this largely inanimate thing called COVID uh, by, by traveling more and, and spending more. We're making up for that. And it makes a whole lot of sense on a, on a behavioral level, right? You just, it, it's been a crappy couple of years. I mean, I spent some money. I've got some money in the back pocket. Yeah, bugger, I'm going to go treat myself. Why wouldn't I? I've had it, you know, I deserve it. Uh, now, again, whether that's whether that's justifiable or not, personality-wise, behaviorally, that makes perfect sense to me that people would do that because that's what we do as humans. Uh, it's been a, a, the data doesn't seem to lie. Uh, revenge is back. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's going to be the victim of your revenge here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to this... show that COVID who's boss. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to buy a new pair of sneakers. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it, it it all. It, <laughs> well, okay, look, separate facts from from narrative here. And yeah, yes. the, the, we have seen very strong retail sales in that. Why is that? Again, we need to wrap a story around it because that's what that's what humans do. We mm. are storytelling creatures. Um, yeah, seems to fit. Makes a bit of sense. Uh, yep. Okay. I'll I'll go with that. Um, I I made the point before that I think sometimes, particularly people in our industry, they assume that everyone is Homo economicus, and we're all making these hyper rational sort of decisions, or we're having at least deeper thoughts on our spending and economics than really exist. I'm more and more convinced that really we just see something shiny and mm, can I have I got room <laughs> on the cart? Yeah, I buy it. No one's think no one's thinking about anything. Uh, you know, I shouldn't generalize too much, but I, I do think that is true. We've talked before about housing prices. The no no one's going in going um uh with any forecast on growth and repayments and interest rates. I mean, Lord knows recent times have shown us that just how, how shocked people were that interest rates sometimes sort of go up. No, the calculation is I want to buy a house. Hey, Mr. Bank uh, manager, how much can I borrow? You can borrow that much? Yeah. Cool, I'll go spend yeah. that much. That's it. That's the rationale, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I don't want to get in, into that. But I, I think we, we, we uh, uh, over-egg the pudding in terms of some of the analysis that's going in. So, yeah, I, I, look, people, people like to, we all like to treat ourselves. We're all um, um, consumers. <laughs> uh, can we do it? Yes, we can. I'm going to do it. Does it or does it make sense? I mean, it feels as though at large, when you look at some of the figures, particularly with something, what is it? Forty percent of mortgages are refinancing uh, this Huge. year, and yep. we'll see you know double an increase in their payment. You think 
Mm-hmm. Jeez, is that the time to go to Europe and spend 20 grand on a whole? I just, I just look at, you know, or buy the new car or buy these things. I'm not saying people, we're not, we should just, you know, live in a caravan and eat two minute noodles. All I'm not, not saying that, but, but it, it does strike me, at least when you look at things on aggregate, that it's probably a little less than prudent. I am going to disagree with you slightly for mm-hmm. fun. Um, only in the sense that, I think you're right in terms of we find stories to fit. But I also think, I guess, as investors, we've got to work out how reliable, likely the past is to look like the future. Mm. And I think we all do. We look at it and say, hey, those earnings look high. Those earnings look low. Those earnings are about average. Here's what I expect moving forward. It's going to continue. It's not going to continue. I think we have to have some version of a a sense of the future or the past or to, to try and ju- put those in context yes. so we know how likely those things are to repeat. Yes. So we saw yep. a big jump in, in online sales during COVID and we, I think, rightly said, hey, probably not going to keep going, probably because of COVID. And so when I think about these retails, I shouldn't assume this new high is a permanently new high and it goes higher from there. Similarly, when they came off the back of that, we said, well, I have sales down. Blackmore's a great example of Daigu sales, right? Same sort of thing. Sales are up. Wow, this is impressive. Oh, sales are down. Okay, well, is that terrible or bad? Well, it's not great because mm. they're less than they were. Mm. Does that mean the trend is now down and forever or is there a new base? Well, again, we can make different, just different views of that. I guess I'm just making the point that when it comes to company analysis, there is some requirement on an investor to work out how sustainable those past levels of profitability are and how likely that would be future. Because whether you do a DCF, whether you're a growth investor, whether you're somewhere in between, I think it, I, th- I do think it matters a little bit because it does, it does, you know, getting that answer to that question right can actually be a significant source of that variant perception we've talked about before. Oh, yeah, 100%. So actually for the first client email I sent out uh, for this year, I had a bit of fun with some of the forecasts. I looked up um, 2022 forecasts. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, I'm furiously looking around for it here, but I I found one from J.P. Morgan. I mean, these these aren't backyard you know chop shops here. These are very, very mm. well regarded institutions. Maybe they shouldn't be well regarded, but you know, very you know <laughs> Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, some of these big investment banks full of people with PhDs, the best resources, you know, the best intel. In, you know, I shouldn't say inside information, but very 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 good information, etc. And they were all saying 2022 is going to be a year of strong growth. Now look how diabolically wrong they are, and then they've gone and then they've said, "Oh, twenty now." And now I was like, "Oh, fool me once, but okay." What do you say? What do you reckon about twenty twenty three? And so <laughs> it's easy to sort of laugh at that. But then at the, to, yeah. to, the point I'm getting to here is yeah. what the uncomfortable truth is that you can't avoid as an investor is like, well, you do have to make a forecast, mate. Like you can't just mm. poo poo everything. At the end of yep. the day, it's either a complete guess or you're investing on hope or you have to have a forecast. And the way I sort of square that circle is, I think. You want to be generally right, as opposed to specifically wrong, as I as I sort of um, said before. You want to apply a margin of safety, and you want to account for the fact that you're going to be wrong a bunch of times as well. So you sort of diversify and and, and do a bunch of other things. But you're right, mate. You can't you can't just say ah, oh, it's all nonsense and it's 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 useless. Um, I did see, by the way, I did see a really good quote, and I, I tweeted it out during the week because so it was really good. It was ostensibly from Mark Twain, but I'm going to say. Probably not because so many so yeah. many quotes get falsely uh, attributed to him. But he allegedly said, forecasting is the art of saying what will happen and then explain, explaining why it didn't. I just thought, oh, man, that is <laughs> nailed That's it. That's good, isn't it? 
That is it's just perfect. so on message. Yeah, so that on is point. Perfect. Um, the, the other thing I was going to say, I suppose, so you said before that we're all informed by our experience. I, I just actually, um, before we recorded this, just got back from my folks. I was chatting to the old man and he was talking about his parents, my grandparents, that, you know, they wouldn't spend a cent until they'd saved it up and on top of their sort of rainy day fund, emergency kind of fund. So you, you didn't, certainly didn't have credit cards or anything like that. And it seems so quaint and old fashioned today, but why did, <laughs> why did they do that? Well, their experience, mm-hmm. outlook, mm-hmm. view of the world was informed by the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, anything else was ridiculously reckless. And I made the point, it was just like, I actually think that was the right take. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I've, I've tried to approach life. I'm a very, doesn't seem it because, you know, small cap investor and the rest of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm very risk averse. I'm very, very conservative um, financially. And I, I'd argue that I'm not taking the kinds of risks that, that, that tend to be attributed to someone with my investing style. But anyway. Bitcoin. Um, yeah. <laughs> a very, very safe bet. Um, but but yeah. that approach mm. was exactly the wrong thing to do over the last 20 years. Who is, who has been- wealth creation, yeah. Yeah. So, so the lesson from the last 20 years has been borrow up to the eyeballs and, and put it into assets, you know, whether shares or property, or you pick your poison. I mean, that that has been the thing to do. Save money before you buy something. I mean, they, are you an idiot? <laughs> yeah. Do you know? And yeah. you can sort of laugh and go, oh, yeah, I should, you know, up to the eyeballs, I get a, I get a you know, um, tiny slither of equity and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fold that back in and leverage that up again and buy another investment product again and again and again. You go, oh, how dumb is that? Yeah. Well, actually, joke's yeah, on that's me. that's right. If you started in 1980, you're, you're a multi squillionaire by now. Exactly. Yeah. It was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. And so I guess the, the point I'm making, again, it's a very long run up here, but just from some of the things that we've seen, the behaviors we've seen, I am, mm. and again, I've said this before, I, I think we are dealing with people. The last recession, proper recession was in 1993. I was just graduating uh, high school, <laughs> right? Mm. So there are, there are people pretty much yeah, uh, yeah, approaching yeah. their yeah. 50s, you know, towards the end of their working life who have never had a recession, yep. who have never, had- Never the, worked, yep, went out during a recession, yep. They have had the the exact, well, I shouldn't say the wrong lesson because mm. maybe that is maybe that is the lesson. Maybe yeah. I've got completely wrong, <laughs> but I've maybe I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say it. I think they've had the exact wrong lesson. So- Geopolitical tensions, war in Ukraine, rising inflation, increasing interest rates, increasing mortgage burdens, all the rest of it. And then what? Retail spending's through the roof. Are people, what's yeah, wrong with people? Exactly. It's like, no, they're just, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they are informed by their own experience. Mm. And they are very hyper aware that the, as they've looked, their friends and relatives get rich. The lesson has been, don't be financially prudent. In fact, be, be financially reckless, I would almost I would almost say. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of works until it doesn't and maybe there's another 10 years of, of, of good times and parties to be had. But I, I don't know. It seems, it seems as though, again, it's not, it's not to predict doom and gloom um, because that's been a mugs game and, and anyone who has, is, uh, you know, sitting on the sideline in cash for the last 10 years has done themselves a massive disservice. But I just want to be in a situation where in case, just in case, Mm. I'm not. I'm not completely wiped out, and that's my worry: is that those people who have done incredibly well, very, very rich on paper, will find that what tends to happen, what what you tend to see, is that when these things unwind, it's gradually and then all at once. And and if you've got no buffer uh, in the way that you've established things, maybe things will continue to go well, and I hope they do for your sake. But if they don't, well, 
things are going to go very, very badly. <laughs> and I would rather forego upside, some upside potential in order to make myself very robust or as Taleb would say, very anti-fragile. I think an anti-fragile investor, an anti-fragile financial mindset is a good one. Even if it turns out that in hindsight, well, I should have bet all on black because I would have I would have done much better. And I think that Does is that make sense? Very, do you agree? It makes perfect. No. Um, yes, I do. I do. I there's a middle ground between the depression era thinking and the current thinking. I, yeah, and I think yeah, that, that, that I think, yeah, I think you've actually. I was that, yeah, I won't even say anymore. You absolutely summed it up because I was good. Mm-hmm. You know, there is so much. There's there's such a thing as not enough risk. Yes, and there's such a thing as too much risk. And I think you have to be careful to be very very aware of your preconceptions and the things that appear to be true. Mm. What's that phrase? It's not the things you don't know. It's the things you know for certain that aren't true. Yes. Uh, Mark Twain that said of, that. <laughs> right. Pro- property always goes up is the view, right? For example, I don't, I don't yep. like to tell on that one. But whatever, yep. or, or even just, you know, it's, it's not risky. Or yep. the banks can't ever do this. Or this won't happen. And I think, you know, they, they, may, they probably won't. Maybe they won't. I don't know the answer mm, to either of those mm, things. But mm-hmm. what's, to my mind, more important is your point, which is it's just, it's just the nuance in between. You know, I yeah. think you don't, want to, you don't want to put yourself in a position, you know, Buffett talks about debt relying on the kindness of strangers. And he never wants to be in that position, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't use any debt at all. I'm not saying that for the slightest. But it is, it is a really important distinction to make because if you get that right, um, then you're in a much better position. If you, if you get that wrong, um, then you go back to square one and that's just not worth doing. So, so finding the right balance between those two things, yes. um, even if you're right... <laughs> Charlie Munger said about you know, gold bugs. Even if they're right, they're still a jerk, right? And, and <laughs> that, that, that amuses me because I don't like gold bugs. But but it's but it's, amusing, it's but it's right in general because if you take risks and you're right, and you and you end up getting you end up being right, you end up getting a positive result. Doesn't mean the risk was worth taking. It just means you got a good result. Now maybe you're yes. lucky. Maybe you were right. Yeah. But a bit like you said sort of earlier in the episode, taking those risks and happening to come out on the right side of history doesn't make you a genius necessarily. It might probably makes you lucky and and to the other extreme here gosh i wish mm. the uh, i just i brought up the rba inflation calculator and fortunately mm. uh i don't know why but the data only goes up to 2021 <laughs> so we've, we've just missed two of the most extreme inflation years in modern history yeah. but even with that so if you had been hyper 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 conservative and mm. you'd just taken your money and you shoved it in in a mattress um and this is during a period of very unusual benign inflation. It was averaging less than 2% over that decade period. Right. Um, you've, you've lost 20% of your purchasing power. In other words, what you did as an investment strategy by shunning any kind of risk whatsoever is cop a, a, a very significant loss over a very long period of time. So you, you, you're right. You, you, there is, there's a middle ground here. You, you want to take some quote unquote risk and we should be careful to define what we mean by risk, and I think you and I mean what Buffett means, which is a, a risk of, of permanent capital loss, not, not yes. one of volatility. They're, they're two very different things. Um, but it's a lovely point, isn't it? Because the, the, the person, in fact, this is why I think we're such strong advocates of equity market investing. I hate that. I should just say buying good companies or being a part mm-hmm. owner in a good company for long periods of time is actually it's 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 far less risky than the person who shuns that and goes, no, share markets are, are risky. I'm going to leave all my money in cash. It's like you probably won't put it under the mattress, but even with a little bit of interest, we saw what interest rates were like over that same period as well. You've you've absolutely done yourself a massive disservice. So a little bit of quote unquote risk is actually a very prudent thing. I like it. 
on that note, mate, we might finish up. If you do want to get in touch with us for our mailbag episode this Sunday, well, firstly, you're too late because we're about to record it. But for <laughs> next Sunday, you can get in touch with us on all of the usual socials. Email us, info at fool.com.au. Look up Andrew on Twitter at strawman underscore, sorry, strawman invest at strawman invest or sage underscore Simeon. Got that iron dinner. Uh, or you can look me up at TMF Scott P on Twitter or Insta at the Motley Fool AU on both or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips money. And until Sunday, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.